0: Today's episode of Friday Rollin' on the BS Podcast, on the Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you by our friends at ZipRecruiter. You know it's not smart? I don't know. Maybe running 100 plays inside the 10-yard line in Philadelphia last night and only succeeding on like one of them. Sound familiar, Atlanta fans? You know what else isn't smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes, luckily, there's a smart way to do it. ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. They find people with the right skills for your job. Actively invite them to apply, get qualified candidates fast. That's why it's rated number one by employers in the U.S. based on Trustpilot rating of hiring sites with at least 1,000 reviews. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We're also brought to you by SeatGeek, the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase in any game or sporting event. And there's a lot of stuff right now. NFL, college football, Major League Baseball, MLS, NBA is coming. Just use promo code BS. $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by America's favorite website, TheRinger.com, where you can read a whole bunch of football preview stuff. You can read about pop culture. You can read really good writing. Just go there. Check it out. Check out the Ringer Podcast Network, including our new podcast, Dual Threat with Ryan Rosillo, College Football, Pro Football. Tuesday nights, Nephew Kyle is producing that one as well. Nephew Kyle, the hardest working man at the Ringer right now. Coming up, we're going to talk to Wesley Morris about the life of the late, great Burt Reynolds and do our top five Burt Reynolds movies. And then right after that, Joe House is coming on to talk about Tiger Woods and week one NFL picks. We're going to do a little Friday rolling with House. This is a long pod. House comes on about an hour and five minutes into it if you just want the football stuff. But I don't know why you wouldn't want to hear me and Wesley talk about Burt Reynolds. My old Grantland teammate, Wesley, coming up next. First, Pearl Jam. (laughs) On the line right now, Wesley Morris. We've been meaning to talk to him for a while. He hasn't been on in a while, which is my fault because he should be on all the time. Uh, Burt Reynolds died, and it got me thinking, oh, yeah, I have to have Wesley on. we got to talk about Burt Reynolds, the biggest star of the 70s. I'm older than you. The hierarchy was probably Burt Reynolds, Redford Newman. And if you look at their IMDb's, it doesn't totally back that up. But there was no bigger movie star when I was a kid than Burt Reynolds. What was your reaction?
1: Uh, I didn't even know he was, I didn't know anything. I mean, I guess I should have known he was sick, but I didn't even know he was 82.
0: I know. I know. You could have told me he was 92 or 72. I I think I would have believed the 20 year age range. I would
1: have believed anything you told me.
0: His IMDB was really interesting because he has like this whole 12 year TV career before deliverance. So he was clearly, uh, clearly banging out gigs for a while there, and then then Deliverance happened and everything took off. We're going to play a little game today. Top five. This is something Fantasy and Chris Ryan did on um, either The Watch or The Big Picture. I can't remember. Spielberg had something coming out, and they decided to do their top five Spielberg movies and went backwards, counted down from five to one, alternated back and forth. So somebody goes five, the other goes five, then it goes to four. And the first time a new movie comes up, we'll talk about the movie then. This is going to work. I know it sounds confusing. Um, I asked you to do a top five. I did my top yeah. five. Your fifth best Burt Reynolds movie, what was it?
1: Uh, I'm going to pick, okay. So I'm doing Burt Reynolds in the movie slash Burt Reynolds movie. So my number five is the only kind of like, oh, come on, Leslie, give me a break. But the, I don't even know, what three minutes he has in silent movie <laughs> wow!
0: Silent movie. I wasn't expecting that.
1: Silent movie, man. Um, he is not in it very much. He plays Burt Reynolds playing Burt Reynolds, and the the joke, of course, for anybody who hasn't seen Mel Brooks' silent movie, it is it is still funny. It has some of the best use of Burt Reynolds um, and and Ann Bancroft, uh, Mel, Mel Brooks' wife. Uh he basically, you know, they find him in the shower. He's, he's basically washed, lathered up by hands you can't see that we know are Dom DeLouise's and Mel Brooks's. He then seduced into making this silent movie with them. And his, he just, <clears throat> sorry, the thing about Burt Reynolds that's so great about this sequence, and, you know, it'll become more clear why he was a great movie star while we talk about him is that he's so there's a thing that I have about Burt Reynolds or that I experience watching Burt Reynolds. And the reason, one of the reasons I think he was a star is that he's got this thing called Joie de Burt, right? Like where you, he, he's not a great actor, but he's a great something else. Yeah. And this, the something else that he has is this, Property that belongs only to him, and Mel Brooks was so aware of. He doesn't get enough credit for identifying great talent, sort of great raw talent in people that isn't necessarily comedic, and then taking those properties and making them funny. But he does that for these this, this brief interlude in silent movie with Burt Reynolds, and it's just he is so self mockingly happy. And hot in this movie, um, that's that's number five
0: for me. He's a movie star in the purest sense. He can be in a bad movie, but doesn't get any of the sludge of the movie on him because he made a lot of bad oh. movies. And I, I think there's very few people, especially now. I you know I think we have a lot of movie stars now um, that we've either grown up with or we've developed since the '90s or whatever you want to say. There's very few movie, very few stars that can just be like in a stinker and you still don't blame them for it. Like even Tom Cruise, who I, who's had his fair share, his fair share of stinkers. You blame him for the stinker. It's like, come on, Tom Cruise, like Jack Reacher too. Not a good movie. I, I blame Whoa. Tom Cruise for it. I didn't, if Burt Reynolds had been in the equivalent of Jack Reacher too, I never would have blamed him for it.
1: But all Burt Reynolds did was Jack Reacher 2.
0: <laughs> I know. That's my point. Even <laughs> worse. He made him
1: a star. Right, exactly.
0: I mean, he made Smokey, cool. Bandit, Smokey and the Bandit 2 and uh, and um, Cannonball Run 2, which are two of the worst movies of the last 40 years. Like, they're really irredeemably horrific. And um, did he make Smokey and the Bandit 2, or am I just thinking of Cannonball Run 2?
1: Did he direct or was he in
0: them? I can't remember.
1: He was in, uh, he was in both those sequels.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was. What was the he one He wasn't in
1: the third one. He That's what in, I'm thinking. Yeah. Three.
0: They put out a third one where he wasn't in it and it was just his voice. He was barely in it. Yeah, in it for like his, a minute or something. <laughs> but he made those two sequels and they're just really horrific and uh the only other one I can think of like that Clint Eastwood was another one that could be in a bad movie. Like there's some bad dirty hairy movies every which way but Loose 2 is really I think it was called Any Which Way You Can. That was horrible, but nobody ever blamed Clint. And I think with Burt, he was just so freaking likable and he really belonged to the 70s in a lot of ways. The 70s was the least self-aware decade for celebrities we've ever had. Um, so let
1: me let me give you some, some statistics yeah. just to back you up. Burt Reynolds was the biggest box office draw from 1978 to 1984, consistently. Wait, no, no, he was number one. Wait, let me get this exactly right. He was number one in 78, 79, 80, 81, 82. He was the top box office draw at the North American box office, number one for five consecutive years, and not making the good only movies. Other person, huh?
0: And wasn't really making good movies during that
1: time. No, I mean, th- see, the thing, the thing that we have lost about movie stars. Is that they were not uh, we weren't going to watch a great movie we were going to watch a great person be in a movie of 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 kind of immaterial quality right yeah if the movie was good, it was a bonus if you went if you were a big Robert Redford person and you saw him and Dustin Hoffman and all the president's men, and you were going to see this is potentially a bad example only because of what that movie's about yeah. But let's just say. That, that all the presidents meant is just a thriller about two reporters like investigating something and involving the White House. And you're going to see Redford and you leave seeing one of the great American thrillers. That's just a bonus, but you went in to see you went in to see Robert Redford. Right. And so in the seventies, I mean this is true of all movie stars, but I think at the point at which movies there was just this real divergence in the sixties I mean, it, I guess I can't really say that there was really a market point where it became less important what the movie was about because the star was in it. That's always kind of been true. I feel like during the first
0: place during the Julia era, that kind of ended. You couldn't just release a bad movie with a star in it. People started to be like, "What the hell? Can the movie be good too?" Well, but you go back to Burt in the seventies, and and you mentioned Redford. I think a really good example is the Electric Horseman the movie with him and mm-hmm, Jane Fonda. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's an actively bad movie, but nobody <laughs> cared because it was like, hey, Redford and Jane Fonda, this is great. And even like you're seeing the A Star is Born remake now. Um, But when A Star is Born came out in 76 with Streisand and Christopherson, the movie itself is really bad. But it's just two big stars in it and nobody really cared that the movie was bad. It was they just want to see Barbara Streisand sing and that was it. Um, yeah. simpler times. And I
1: think, I think that's a I think that's an important thing to keep in mind, which is just I mean, you also mentioned there were five pure movie stars in the seventies, just pure non character actor movie stars. Yeah. Reynolds and Fonda, New- Redford, Streisand. Newman. And I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in I'm gonna throw in Richard Roundtree, even though he only like he was only, he only got to be a star in two movies. He was such a star in those two shaft movies. And there just was, like, it was just so easy. He made it look so easy. I think, you know, those four people, plus my bonus of Richard Roundtree, that you, was the 70s.
0: You wouldn't throw in Newman on that? I, I think Newman has to. Yeah, Newman,
1: Newman's another, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, Newman also had, a, had like, his, he became a star in the 60s, and he stayed yeah. one in the 70s.
0: true, true. Same true. with Heston. Because I remember when Newman was in Slapshot in 77, which I'm old enough to remember when that came out. I was like, wow, he's making a hockey movie? It was like a really big deal to me and my friends that Paul Newman was making a (laughs) hockey movie. All right, my fifth choice. I have a lot of runners up. More runners up than I expected. Uh, Movies that were only good because I like Burt Reynolds. Like The End. The End is not a good movie. It's basically a movie about a guy, whether he's deciding whether to kill himself or not. Dom DeLuise is in it at his all-time and most annoying and it's just not good but Burt Reynolds is really great and likable in it same thing for Hooper which um, really feels like it should be like rewatchable but it's just not that good but is fun because Burt Reynolds is in it Um, the uh, Cannonball Run's another one Paternity Sharky's Machine all of these were just solid Burt Reynolds movies Gator Uh, my number five choice though I'm actually I'm going early on this one Deliverance ooh so okay. um this was the movie when Burt Reynolds put it all together and was clearly a leading man. It's a very testosterone-y, um, kind kind of male bonding gone wrong. Um, hasn't aged that great, but at the same time has aged really, really great because it's almost fifty years old and it still kinda of works and it's still kind of terrifying and the hillbillies are scary and and he's just a star in it. And you watch and you're like, oh, it totally makes sense that this guy would become the biggest star in the world. Um, I'm yeah. not sure how many other guys could have played that part. I was try I was actually thinking last night of the modern guys we have, who would have worked in that part? Like maybe Brad Pitt 15 years ago. Um, it's certainly not like a Tom Cruise part, you know, it's not a Leo no. part. Maybe Matt Damon. Um, but it's just not a lot. You, there's a lot going on with that role. There's like a sexuality that he has. He's got empathy for his friend. You have to believe that he's ready to take on all the hillbillies in the forest. Um, there's a fearlessness you that also he has. You have to it believe
1: works. him in that wetsuit. Yeah. Right? Like you, you have to believe that this is a person who believes in his body enough to just like in front of this total stranger hillbilly, Guy, this I don't just you know, take off his outerwear and just walk around for the rest of the movie in this wetsuit. Yeah,
0: it's good. It's it's uh, it was one of the most controversial movies of the 70s and led to a lot of squeal like a pig jokes and all that stuff. And now it's it's like three generations removed, nobody remembers, but it was the movie that put Burt Reynolds on the map. Uh, what's your number four?
1: Number four, Sharky's Machine.
0: Oh, all right. Make the case.
1: So here's why I picked this. I picked this because Burt directed it. I think it's the best of the, what, five movies that Burt Reynolds directed. Yeah. And I, there is, this is, this is just on its face, just like a crime cop thriller. But you realize a lot of things. You learn a lot about an actor, about a movie star, I should say, when they, when they make movies for themselves. Um, and one of the things you learn about Burt Reynolds, particularly in Sharky's Machine, is that he likes black people. <laughs> like Sharky's Machine is basically a black exploitation movie starring Burt Reynolds. And it is also like a very deepened crime thriller that, it has some like creepy things in it. Like, I, do you remember the plot of this movie?
0: You know, I haven't seen it in a while, but I was a big defender for years and years. And I just remember they, it was during this stretch from like 81 to 83 where they would do these kind of action thrillers, but they, they always had like some sort of dark element. Like they would go mm-hmm. like 10% too far with something. And I can't yeah. remember what it was in this movie.
1: The 10% too far is the amount of time devoted to spying on Rachel Ward. Hmm. Oh, yeah. She's this, she's this dancer prostitute who is basically the a governor, a gubernatorial candidate's concubine, played by Earl Holloman, by the way, who I will confess to having... We have not talked about how hot I am for Burt Reynolds, so it seems wrong to say I had a thing for Earl Holliman. That's so weird. So I'll just table that. Earl Okay. Um, All right. But okay. anyway... She plays the con, like basically the concubine of Earl Holloman, the guy, the French dude controlling him and the victim of the assassin hired to assassinate her because she, she's jeopardizing the campaign basically. Yeah. And so there is a 20 minute sequence where Burt Reynolds and Bernie Casey, who's really good in this movie. Love Bernie Casey. Yeah. Um, it's him, Brian Keith, Bernie, Bernie Casey, Brian Keith, Burt Reynolds. Um, Charles Durning plays like the the sheriff or whatever, uh, the sheriff, the uh, the police lieutenant or captain, and it, it, they're just spying on Rachel Ward. It's super duper weird. He starts tearing up at some point when she's when she's made love to by this French dude. It's <laughs> it's, just so
0: weird. it's stalkery, but
1: it's stalkery, but not despite that, but there's something about the generosity of spirit. There's a lot of time devoted to Rachel Ward's character before she's both fucked and killed. Um, so you kind of have an understanding, even in in the limited drawing of this character that, you know, this is a woman with, with ambitions and dreams and hopes and, and sexual desires that don't have anything to do with how much a man wants her. Um, and the whole time, Burt Reynolds or Bernie Casey or Brian Keith is watching her reveal herself in this way. Mm. Um, there's a lot of scenes of them just sitting around doing nothing. I mean, Burt Reynolds is just there's a kind of command that he has, um, just like just in a scene with five other dudes. Yeah, he's re- he's gotten, he got really trim. The thing about Burt Reynolds that made him hot, I thought one of the things is that like the roundness of his face. He had a moon face and in a full moon phase. And in, and in Sharky's Machine, it's like a crescent or like a half moon. He just got really trim and just looked great. Um, and he's both funny and serious, and you buy him in this. And the reason I put it on this list and I put it at number four is just because it's the best of the movies that he made. And I think that if any other – like if Michael, this was Michael Mann's second movie – We would have taken it much more seriously. There's so much in this. Oh wow! I got to watch it again now. You got to watch it again. You got me excited for it. it. You know, it's really good.
2: Rachel
0: Ward had the iconic trio of this movie, Against All Odds, with Jeff Bridges, what? Which I'll defend to the death. And then, and also, like unbelievable to use the title and then the title song that makes it big and it actually gets used in the movie correctly. Kudos to Mm -hmm. them. And and, uh, one of the great car chases ever with uh, Jeff Bridges and James Woods and that. But then Fortress, which any kid growing up in the 80s, she's like the school teacher and there's like terrorists or something and they have to escape and go down and save the kids. And um, I was just in love with Rachel Ward as a kid. Anyway, here's my uh, my number four. And I think part of this is just because I saw this when I was a kid in the theater. My dad took me and it was like the best time I ever had in my life. I was like, oh my God, I, I just, if I could ever meet Burt Reynolds, that would be the greatest thing that ever, ever happened to me. Smokey and the Bandit. Um, oh. I'm not sure how well this movie has aged. I haven't watched it in a while, but I will tell you, like for kids, it was catnip and it's kind of hard to believe nobody has ripped this off and made the 2018 version of it. They basically, it's him and a trucker who is played by Jerry Reed and they have to go cross country. They have to bring, they have a certain amount of time to do it. They have to bring this cargo across country and Burt Reynolds is driving um, a fancy sports car. I can't remember which one. I can't remember the name of it. And he basically is running interference for the trucker. And if there's cops, he's kind of distracting the cops so the truck can go fast enough and he's just torturing Jackie Gleason, who's the sheriff in this whole police corps and doing all this stuff and just laughing. And Sally Field's in it. And Sally Field has weirdly never been more attractive in a movie ever than she was in this. Sally Field
1: is in it. Are you kidding? She's like, she's the, she's, I mean, after Bird, it's her.
0: Yeah. And they have like a real chemistry that I oh think they, they consummated for a couple of years there in real life. Um, it's just great. It's just really—it's everything you'd want from, like, a stupid summer movie. And he's great in it, and he's a movie star, and it goes back to the whole thing. Like, I don't know how many people could have played the bandit. In, the in like, the history of mankind, it, there's certainly no actor now that I can think of, a, a white actor, who, who could have— Who could have been Bandit. Like now if you made that movie Bandit's Black, there's no question. Burt Reynolds pulls it off. It's all charisma. It's him cackling. It's him with a toothpick and him wearing a hat and him just driving a car fast. And how does that movie work,
1: Wesley? Well, it works because it's fun. It's ridiculous. It's totally, it's, it's, (laughs) first of all, it's got more plot. Than, than any movie that runs for 96 minutes needs to have. It's right. so overwritten. Yeah. And it doesn't, but, it, it, you know, there was a period from like 77 to, I would say, maybe 79, 80, where, where every sort of big Hollywood movie had about three credited screenwriters, and it's like they took three different screenplays and just stapled them together. Yeah. And so they had more movie more movie story than they needed. And this really could have been Burt Reynolds just driving for 96 minutes, and it probably still would have made, wait for it, $300 million. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) Oh, my God. Is how big Burt Reynolds was was a star. And it's funny because the other thing that it's got is you don't think of this movie as being a romantic comedy, but it's totally a romantic comedy. Yeah. And Sally Field and he of all the women. Now this is an important thing because it might step on my number three choice, but I'm just gonna. It's worth mentioning since, well, whatever. Uh, Burt Reynolds made a lot of movies with a lot of women. Yeah. Sometimes Who, the same woman twice, like Jill Clayburgh. But he and Sally Field, it just, it just, it's so easy. Between them. And and the, the, the degree to which Burt Reynolds doesn't do any actual work when he's on screen is 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 just eased by this actress who wants to be taken seriously as an actress, but is so convincing as a movie star. Yeah. And, and the kind of movie star who you can watch kind of falling in love with Burt Reynolds while also putting up with him. She's not neurotic. She's very easy in her skin. She's very sweet-natured, but also not a sucker. And she also doesn't seem to need him for anything. And this is the most important thing.
0: She seems really, really, really attracted to him. Yeah, 100%. And the other thing is he tapped into something with her. Because I always thought... I'm not positive she had the career she should have had. I always thought she was a lot sexier than some of the roles she did. Yes, um, yes, yes. I just thought there's something about her I just dug, and Burt Reynolds tapped into it. And the only other time I really remember it coming out, which is really strange, but in Forrest Gump, when she mm. has to seduce the principal to get Forrest in the school, and she yeah. kind of turns it on, and it's like, oh man, it is sitting there. Like Sally Field had this whole side she wouldn't. Go near, and uh, and Bert Bert just went right into it. Hold on, we're going to take a break. Let's take a break, talk about Campaign Monitor. When it comes to email marketing, there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. That's why Campaign Monitor created an easy-to-use email marketing platform, Complete, with simple drag-and-drop email editor, and award-winning 24-7 customer service. They give you everything you need, beautifully designed, professional email marketing campaigns to grow your business with their gallery of beautiful email templates all of which look amazing on every device, you're bound to find something that will make your brand pop. And since Campaign Monitor uses detailed lists and smart segments, your messages instantly drive more engagement. No wonder it's used by more than 250,000 businesses worldwide. Right now, the Bill Simmons Podcast listeners have the opportunity to track Campaign Monitor. Listen to this for themselves without spending a dime. Sign up for your free trial today at campaignmonitor.com slash BS. Once again, campaignmonitor.com slash BS. All right, we're back. We have our top three left. What's yours? Number three.
1: Um, I'm going to just, I'm doing this so we can talk about a whole genre of birth that we probably wouldn't get to talk about otherwise. Also, I really like him in this movie. It's starting over. Oh my God, that was
0: my number three. (laughs) <laughs> I was it that was what I said. I had a surprise for you in the top five. My number three is starting over. I fucking love starting over. Go ahead.
1: Okay. So the movie is basically Burt Reynolds gets divorced by Candace Bergen, who parenthetically is beyond sexy in this movie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
0: I, she's crazy I even, sexy.
1: I can't even stand in the movie the movie needs her to be sexy because it's part of the plot, but Holy, holy expletive. Anyway.
0: The sexiest, um, she, the sexiest moments of her career were this movie. And then when she hosted SNL and she had this charisma about her and the way she was interacting with all the cast members the first time she hosted it, which was like the 10th episode. And it, it, that, that's yeah. another one. It's like Sally Field. It's like there, there was something there that she was afraid to go for, but sometimes it came out and it definitely came out in this movie.
1: And Burt Reynolds, I mean, I, I would love, I mean, I don't know if Sally Field is going to ever talk about Burt Reynolds again, um, but I would just love to hear some of these women, because they're all still alive. I mean, Joe Clayberg is still alive. Like, I would love to hear them talk about what it was like to do a scene with this man.
0: Right, like, when you turn the charm on. Yeah,
1: Like, would like, love to hear Candace Bergen talk about making – like, sharing scenes and, and sex scenes with Burt Reynolds. Anyway, this movie, Candace Bergen divorces him, d- divorces him. This is, like, in the 70s, the late 70s, when divorce was a new thing for the movies. Yeah. and
0: It was, like, Kramer versus Kramer, this movie, and a couple others, but it was, like, there was kind of a run of divorce movies. I agree. And my parents yeah. were getting divorced, so I saw all of them.
1: And it's weird, too, because this, I mean, they were they were, a lot of them were focused on men. Like what yeah. it was like for the man to be single. True. And so single Burt Reynolds leaves New York, moves to Boston. Yes. Moves to, moves to back Bay. Yeah. And is set up by Charles Durning and Francis Sternhagen Hagen uh, with Jill Clayberg. And they just start this relationship. She's also been recently divorced and they start this, they start dating and it just is a very sort of James L. Brooks wrote this movie. It's worth saying. So the, there's a kind of humanity and wit in the humanity that that, that really works.
0: Well, wasn't but, this wasn't this his first screenplay that he actually wrote? Because at this point he was a TV guy. I think this might have been yeah, the first movie he wrote. Yeah, this is
1: his first film. This is his first screenplay. Yeah. And it
0: makes sense that when you know that it's a James L. Brooks screenplay, at least the movie makes a lot more sense. Why it's much better than you think it's going to be.
1: Yes. But the thing is, I mean, so it's really mean to Joe Clayberg in a way, right? Like for you have to spend, there's a great, the great scene in the movie is the dunk tank scene, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Where it's just a real comic emotional feat for her. And he is so casual. She's, Basically, she's a school teacher and I guess there's some fundraiser. I don't know exactly know why they're having this dunk tank. But she is, you know, agreeing to be – to sit on the plank of the dunk tank. And, you know, she's asking the girls and the women, come on, girls and women. Like, you can do it. You've got a great arm, Sally. Hit the, hit the button. And the other women seem to take the challenge. And Burt Reynolds, who she has just broken up with, like, for, I mean, maybe the second time. Yeah. Because um, she's totally neurotic comes up and starts throwing balls at the at the at the button and she goes in and then she sort of gets up and she sits back on the plank and says would anybody else like like a try and he hits her again and she falls in and it becomes this very funny painfully prolonged, but it, but at the same time, excruciatingly funny sequence where she keeps getting redunked. And by like the third or fourth time, she just loses it and starts cursing in front of the kids. And Reynolds is so cool the whole time, but he's never cruel in his coolness. Right. He's just like, I was just trying to get your attention. Now that I've got it, can we please talk about why you dumped me? And there's nothing creepy about it it's kind of mean but in a classical movie sense that isn't misogynistic it just um I don't know how to explain why this isn't as horrifying as it sounds like it might be but you watch it and I i mean I watched it fairly recently actually for this other thing I'm doing and I kind of welled up during this scene because yeah. it's very moving um,
0: so it was directed and, by the guy who did all the president's men it yeah. was nominated um Jill Clayburgh got nominated and Candace Bergen got nominated. Like this was a big ass movie in 1979, 1980 Oscars money, yeah. made a lot of money. It was, it's also my number three. It was a kind of, I would call it a dramatic rom-com. Mm-hmm. Cause there's some drama elements to it. Jill Clayburgh had this run in the seventies that I'm still not sure why it happened and why she was the <laughs> one that won the roles over other people. I, I it's kind of inexplicable 40 years later. Um, but he's Burt Reynolds cause he's great with everybody. He was great with her, but the, the reason, I mean, I think this is a good movie anyway, and I'm, I'm all for all seventies divorce movies, but the real reason this has a piece of my heart beyond that it's a really good movie is the Boston stuff. It is yeah. one oh, of
1: the, all the Celtics thing at the end. Oh my
0: God. There's, there's, but there's old Boston garden in it. He actually, I think he works for the Boston garden, the movie, but A lot. There's just a lot of Boston, Back Bay, Beacon Hill. Um, They filmed it in 1978 during the blizzard, and there's just there's a ton of snow in the movie. Like it really, Mm -hmm. it really feels like Boston. The two movies that, um, the verdict even more, even more of the case. But the two movies from that era, from when I was a kid living there, uh, the verdict and Starting Over, where you can just go and be like, oh man, look at this Boston footage. Holy shit! And then he's at the peak of his powers. You know, he's, the thing with him was he could be the guy in Deliverance, but he could also be the divorce guy who has no self-esteem and is slowly winning it back. That he could be those two people in different movies. There's not a lot of people who can do that. I'm trying to think of people now. I don't, it's like, it's kind of the career we wanted Ben Affleck to have, but he didn't totally have mm, it. You know what I
1: mean? Oh yeah, no, he, well- Okay, so there's a lot of threads here that we should try to tie together at some point before this conversation ends. But I would just say that the reason that I like him in this movie is because, you know, you absolutely know that Richard Dreyfuss was somebody's first choice for this part. Yeah. Somebody wanted to do goodbye girl to Electric Boogaloo. And for whatever reason, it didn't happen. And And it went to the opposite of Richard Dreyfuss in Burt Reynolds. Yeah. And I I th- there's something about him. There's a scene in this movie where jill Clayburgh, who it's really interesting because she's so neurotic and she's so high strung and she's so prepared. There's a great, the, the other great moment in the movie is that when they meet, so you spend the first 15 minutes with him just sort of like watching his life unravel and him trying to figure out how to, how to basically start over. And he's walking to Charles Durning and Francis Sternhagen's house and it's nighttime and it's winter and he's walking on the pavement and she's walking in the middle of the street and at some point, you know, it's your classic, I think this man is Trying to do something horrible to me. Right. And at some point he like comes up on her a little bit because I think he's trying to cross the street, but it's a little bit aggressive, and she turns around and says, If you come one step closer to me, I'm gonna cut your fucking balls off right. and it's so funny the way she just like goes from zero to a hundred and the punchline is, you know, they there he gets to the house. And he he opens the door and Charles Ernie is like, we're about to call them. We're about to call the cops. And Bert Reynolds says, says, why? Well, our friend was just mugged by a horrible pervert. (laughs) There's a cut to Joe Clayburgh just sitting there looking up at Bert
0: Reynolds.
1: (laughs) It's just great.
0: Um,
1: And he plays it so cool. He's so cool in this movie.
0: Well, the other thing we haven't mentioned yet is you're talking about the 70s. Where, you know, as I said earlier, not a lot of self-aware celebrities, but it was also that kind of talk show game show era where celebrities went on all these different things. They were very available to go on stuff. They would go on the Mike Douglas show and Johnny Carson and Merv Griffin, all these different places. Bert was always the best guest of mm-hmm. of the guys in the 70s. He was the go-to single best talk show host guest or single best talk show guest you could have and I think the charisma from all that stuff kind of – kind of, we just liked Burt Reynolds, you know? It was like, ah, like, oh, that's our dude. And I don't it, – it, going back to now, like I, maybe there's a piece of Tom Hanks in that where Tom Hanks said that for years and years. It was like, ah, oh, I just like Tom Hanks. He said, ah, oh, good guy. He'd come on SNL and the talk shows and all that stuff. Um, but Burt was definitely the guy for that decade. What's weird is I'm not – I don't think he went on SNL until the fifth season after Belushi and Ackroyd left. He kind of missed the window to be on the first four years. But yeah, he's the only guy from the 70s, I think, who could have been in this movie. And as you said, if it was Dreyfus, it's a completely different movie. It was also, you had these neurotic actress characters that started with all the Woody Allen movies that Jill Kleber kind of fell into. But there's just a lot of characters like that that seem really dated now. You don't see him in movies the same way.
1: You just couldn't get away with having that high strung a woman have no other redeeming qualities in some way. Yeah. You know, she is I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but she also is the love interest in Semi Tough. Yeah. And she's actually which not is weird. she's not so much better in that movie, but the degree to which her neuroses are sort of there's something about how hot she is for Burt Reynolds in that movie uh, that sort of makes her more tolerable than she is in starting over, where you have a great deal of sympathy for what has driven her to this point of neurosis.
0: I will say that she is single handedly the reason Semi-Tough didn't crack my top five.
1: <gasps>
0: yeah. Oh. I just, I thought it was a miscast. I, that movie never worked for me, and you would think it would because I love Burt Reynolds and I love football and I like Dan Jenkins.
1: Well, wait. Let's let's just move on.
0: Let's move on. Let's go to number two. What's your number two? Because number three was starting over for me as well.
1: Uh, my number two is Semi-Tough.
0: Great. Let's hear it.
1: <laughs> okay, look. This is a football movie with like terrible football scenes, right? This is a movie. This is a football movie with terrible football or like rushed montagey. I don't understand football, football scenes, but that was okay because anybody who was seeing him in Semming tough had already seen Burt Reynolds in The Longest Yard. So they got great football sequences within a Burt Reynolds movie. And... I love this movie because it is, it is the, I would say it is the second best use of Burt Reynolds' movie starness. He was, his comic timing was never better than it was in this movie. He had never owned his hotness the way he owned it in this movie. And it's really important to to talk about one, one very crucial aspect of Burt Reynolds that I think, I don't know if it's the key to his stardom, but it's definitely the key to an aspect of his stardom, which is his mystique. Yeah. Normally with movie stars, they say anyway, that the, that what you like, the ideal movie star has, has huge eyes. They have great big eyes. Burt Reynolds has the tiniest eyes in the history of a movie star. Nobody's ever had smaller eyes than Burt Reynolds. Right. And as a result of having such tiny eyes, You spend, as an audience member, so much time trying to look into them. I mean, I have spent – I can remember as a kid seeing him in almost anything and just, like, wanting the editor not to cut away from his face because I just wanted to stare into his eyes (laughs) because they were so little. And he just, in this movie (laughs) – as much as as much of him as there is to see in this film, I, I, I still never feel like I'm seeing enough. I've never been greedier to watch an actor be in a movie than I am in this movie. He's cast opposite Chris Christopherson. Yeah, in this movie, and if you really want to understand how a movie star works, just act opposite Chris Christopherson. It worked for Barbara Streisand and The Star Is Born. It works really well for Burt Reynolds here. And it isn't even fair the degree to which Chris Christopherson looks lost by comparison. Yeah. Like lost in terms of like Chris Christopherson is objectively a super hot man. He is extremely hot, but I don't care about him when I'm watching when I'm watching Semi Tough. I only care about
0: Burrell. <laughs> That's bad for Chris Christopherson. Yeah, that the reason yeah. I didn't crack my top five, the football scenes are abysmal and I just didn't have Joe Clayburg in it. My uh my number two, actually, let's we're really getting to the, to the nitty-gritty here. Um, let's take one more break. Quick break to talk about the Starbucks Double Shot. Starts with bold Starbucks coffee blended with milk for a smooth, creamy, delicious flavor. It is enhanced with ginseng, guarana, and B vitamins. It's the kind of thing Burt Reynolds would have advertised for 40 years ago because I think he was also smooth and creamy and delicious to a lot of people out there. Double <laughs> Shot available in six delicious flavors. Mocha, vanilla, hazelnut, white chocolate coffee, Mexican mocha. It's an energy coffee drink that not only tastes great, but gives you the energy to go from point A to point done. As I've gotten older, I've realized I need that second coffee type of thing around three thirty, four 4 o'clock. And you know what's been my friend lately? The Starbucks Double Shot. Starbucks Double Shot, energy to do the things you actually do. Find it in your local convenience store. So I had, I really battled between one and two. And I'm going to go, even though it's it's a number one movie for me, I'm going number two for Burt Reynolds just because he's older. It's a different stage of his career. But uh, Boogie Nights. The, oh. Burt Reynolds is Jack Horner. It is one of my ten favorite movies ever. He, at that point, had his movie career really fell apart 84, 85 his two we we haven't talked about his toupees yet his toupee game became Howard Cosell slash William Shatnery and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. he just got old and he wasn't didn't have the same charisma anymore and he hit this kind of kind of uh limbo stage between being an old actor and being the the young uh Great actor, hunk guy that he was in the seventies early. 80s. Can I interrupt
1: you for one second just to talk about that stretch that yeah. he like from Smokey and like for, let's say from Stroker Eight or yes. City Heat with Clint Eastwood and Stick so eighty four
0: he
1: goes from Stick. It's like just naming some of the some of the greatest like non hit hits City Heat Stick Malone mm. Rent a Cop with Liza Minnelli. Uh, I mean physical got- evidence.
0: And then we he made Heat. Top and a half. He made Heat, and when it would come up on cable, you know, the last 20 years, you'd get excited because Heat was on, and then it was, ah, oh, it's the Burt Reynolds Heat. So it was just a rough stretch. <laughs> and then he married Lonnie Anderson, and they were just the creepiest, weirdest couple, and he says he said after it was the biggest regret of his life. He made that show Evening Shade on CBS. with he, Mary Lou Henner was his wife. He's like a failed high school coach and was just hitting this demo. He was demo. good on that. Yeah, he was good on it. Was, it was a demo oh, I mean, wasn't a part of. It was geared toward like people 45 and up and just kind of merits. Yeah, and just kind of became a TV actor. And then Boogie Nights brings him back. Boogie Nights gets just starts getting a shitload of buzz in 96 as it's being made. This is a huge this guy this director's going to be a big deal. Mark Wahlberg's in it. It's a huge cast. Uh, this was on the heels of Pulp Fiction when it was like these indie movies with famous people were starting to become a thing. And he's immediately distancing himself from the movie. And it's just there's a whole weird vibe, but people are still excited about it. And it comes out, and he's fucking Burt Reynolds again. He He's completely revived as whatever charisma he had. It's not as sexual because Jack is not really a sexual character, but mm-hmm. it's definitely – you know, appreciates sex, values it, um, wants to turn it into art. There's that great scene when uh they're cutting whatever the Dirk Diggler movie is. And the guy's like, this is the best film we've ever made. And the, and the guy who's at it is like, it's a real film, Jack. And he's like, this is one they're going to remember me by. And it's just, he, he he's this father figure slash um kind of artist in a world where the, where porn is just heading toward video cassettes and just this grisly ending, and he's great in it. And I can't imagine anybody else in it. I also can't imagine a better, like, career revival part than that. Mm-hmm. Now, he was in Striptease. <laughs> Fantasy, That we'll read Fantasy's top five at the end. Striptease cracked it. So it, it's not like he hadn't tried the comeback part, but this worked out about as as well as it possibly could have. It's hard to imagine um anyone else in the role and he had real tension with Mark Wahlberg that spills out in the pool scene where they get in the fight and it really does seem like they're going to get in a fight and Paul Thomas Anderson said on this podcast that it really was tense for those two days and a lot of stuff spilled over in that scene and and you can feel it it really seems like they're going to start punching each other uh great role for him fantastic iconic movie and that's my Why did too.
1: he why did he distance himself from it
0: I think he didn't, he never saw it. And
1: mm-hmm. I think
0: he didn't realize it was going to be so porn heavy.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: he just didn't instinctively like it. And I don't think he liked Wahlberg. And I think he thought, I was researching last night. He he said uh, he, he was really dismissive of Paul Thomas Anderson. Like he gave some interview to GQ three years ago and they were like, do you think you'll ever work with Paul Thomas Anderson again? He's like, I don't think so. He's too full of himself. And he told this story about Paul Thomas Anderson bragging about the opening shot in Boogie Nights and how, like, unique it was to have the the camera just follow it all the way through that thread for the first four minutes. And his this quote where he's like, I had to explain to him that five other movies have done it, and then I listed the five movies to him. And he was just like, such an asshole. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I think he became an asshole. I think that was part of this whole Burt Reynolds from mid-'80s on. I think he was so famous, he kind of became – really hard to work with in a lot of ways and became, he was the Mm -hmm. biggest star in the world forever and could not fit in from a chemistry standpoint a lot of the times.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. Like I, I, I'm, as, as you know, I am, I'm an enormous lover of Paul Thomas Anderson and this might be my least favorite Paul
0: Thomas. (laughs) I know that's one of our, that's one of our rare like divergences.
1: Um, I don't dislike it. I just don't love it as much as other people do. And I, I think my central problem with that movie is that I actually don't think Wahlberg is that good. And he's like, he creates a void for me that no one else in the movie can fill. And I also think it is his least original movie because it's so besotted with, with other, with great aspects of other great movies. Right. Yeah. Um, I I can I still can only see Scorsese and Tarantino in this movie. I don't see Paul Thomas Anderson.
0: Hold um, on. I got to wipe the tears out of my eyes. Thank you. <laughs> hurting my feelings.
1: Um I mean, look, he's one of our great he's one of our great filmmakers period. He might be our greatest greatest American filmmaker and this is just this is a young person really I don't want to say, I don't want to say punching above his weight, but kind of punching above his weight in a, in a great sense, right? This to me was an omen of everything else that happened. He more than, than capitalized on it. But I also think that, you know, he was trying to, he was doing a thing that Tarantino was good at, which is like taking some rubbish heap movie star who, who used to mean something to this country and resurrecting them and telling them what, telling you as an audience member, why they mattered. Yeah. Um, but I think that for me, it is like I think Boogie Nights is a is a great work of like karaoke and pastiche and not terribly original storytelling or ideas.
0: Well, you're never coming on my podcast again. So what's your number one? <laughs> <laughs> what's Wait, your,
1: we have one more. We have one more. To yeah, do. <laughs> what's
0: your number one? What's your number one Burt Reynolds movie?
1: It's Smokey and the Bandit.
0: Ah, wow, that's your number one. You love the Burt Reynolds-Sally Field.
1: I got it. Well, I mean, it's complicated about Burt because, okay, so for years he was, so, okay, first of all, there's two versions of Burt Reynolds, right? There's mustache Burt and clean-shaven Burt and in Sharky's Machine bearded Burt. And mm. then there's toupee Burt. There's just so many different iterations of this guy all based around hair, right? And there's also the fact that he seems like he's from, he's something else, right? He isn't just some white guy. There's some other race or ethnicity in there somehow. It's Florida. You know, he, he says, you know, that he's Cherokee, right?
0: Yeah. I thought you were going to say Florida. uh,
1: No, I mean, he's Cherokee. Okay. You know, and so what you, you see something in him that is just so unusual and it's so fascinating. And, And it kind of made, you know, he looked, he was tortured by the being compared to Brando because he looks so much like Brando. It's insane. And, but with the mustache, he looks like Clark Gable. And without the mustache, you know, in the 70s, he looked like Sean Connery, too. Yeah. And there's just something about, the reason I'm choosing Smokey and the Bandit, above, like, the best little whorehouse in Texas, above uh, Paternity, above, like... Fifteen other movies where I think he is just—he's just totally on—is because that movie, the reason that movie was a hit, was because—and I think Pauline Kael said a version of this—when this guy is moving or when he is in something that moves, there's nobody who's a bigger or more interesting star. Yeah, because he has such a command of how to hold the wheel of a car how to hold a football, how, I mean, and this is going to sound crass, but I don't mean it to, but like when he's driving that car with Sally field in his lap, Oh my God, there's just,
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah. You think they're just going to start fucking in the car.
1: they don't need to though, this is, this is the other thing about Burt Reynolds, because I actually think that his, um, his kind of improvement in terms of like movie quality and daring is Michael Douglas who was actually interested in having sex and, and like exploring the problems of being the kind of man that Burt Reynolds was um, is that Burt Reynolds didn't really, he having the sex wasn't that interesting to him. Embodying the sex was, was more interesting and more important to him. And Smokey and the Bandit is such a, such a, an explosion of what is hot about Burt Reynolds, even though he does very little. Like compared to Semi-Tough, where he is just he is just like a walking erection inducement, <laughs> and like like a walking thing to just like make you totally just horny beyond horniness. He's not doing anything in Smokey and the Bandit, but just just. Being, I mean, his his line delivery is perfect. It, you know that this is a you know this movie should not work at all, but it totally works because this man is telling you, "I'm a movie star. I can take this crappy movie, I can I can get something done with it. I can have all these great actors like Jackie Gleason and Sally Field around me, but I'm gonna be the center of gravity in this thing, and I'm gonna like hold all this chaos." Just just with my presence. And it's a mustache movie, which means that his swagger just operates in a totally different way than it does when he has no mustache. He seems very shy and reserved with no mustache, long longest yard accepted. And I don't know. It's just it just it is such a great demonstration of of what made Burt Reynolds Burt Reynolds to like not just me, but 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 you know, to America.
0: It's his LeBron going to the Lakers movie, where he's just like, <laughs> you don't even, you don't even need to sign anybody else. We'll be fine. We're a finals contender. I'm here. We don't need a script. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out on the fly. We'll win fifty eight games and we'll and we'll make the conference finals. It's fine. That smoke What's in the yours? bandit. My number one is the longest yard. Uh, I think. Ooh. I think to this day, to this day, this moment. I think it's still one of like the five or six best sports movies of all time. It mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. 44 years old. You could make a case that it started sports movies. It started the modern sports movie. Um, it is the first watchable sports movie like for right now. You could watch mm. Longest Yard today with your 10-year-old son or, you know, whoever. And in 18 three 18-year-olds... Doesn't matter, nephew Kyle. Have you seen Long oh, yeah. Shared? Oh, yeah. nephew Kyle's in. Okay, uh, it's just good. He's just a movie star in it, and it starts out. There's a little anti-hero, and it's actually a jarring first scene. He's he's living with some rich girl. He's a disgraced point shaver, and he's living with some some rich, some sugar mama basically. And they get in a fight. He actually he's hit- a
1: gigolo. Or a jiggler, a jiggler,
0: or whatever he was. And he, and he hits her. And, and, you know, in the 70s, not a big deal. Now you watch, you're like, wow, I'm out on this guy. But they they wanted to establish that this was not a good guy. You know, when they make sports movies now, it's like, this guy's not a good guy. He, like, spitted a fan. Back then, it was like, this guy's not a good guy. He shave points, and he's hitting his girlfriend in the opening scene. And he goes to jail. He gets chased around, goes to prison. All of the prisoners look down on him because he's this guy, Paul Reck and crew, shave points. And eventually, he realizes, like to to kind of curry favor with who they they trap him in some sort of thing, and he has to play the guards in a game. He has to organize a team. The evil warden played by Eddie Albert, um, basically organizes a convicts versus the guards game. Burt Reynolds as QB and. I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it. I know you've seen it, Wesley. It's but,
1: unspoilable.
0: But the last half hour is still holds up as just unbelievable. They film everything wide. The football scenes are outrageous. He is the most convincing best quarterback who has ever been in a movie. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen so he people, played football. He played football in college. I've seen lists where people are like, oh, no, the, here's the best sports movie quarterbacks ever. And if it doesn't have Burt Reynolds and Longest Yard on it, it's like just – take it off the internet. He's by far the best. He's running run pass option. He's running sweeps around the right. They end up, they, he gets, the warden threatens to frame him for uh, caretaker's murder. And he decides, all right, I'm going to have to throw the game and starts throwing the game. And then uh, Granny looks at him on the bench and he's like, I never thought you'd sell us out. And Burt Reynolds has a change of heart and brings the team back. And has one of the great speeches at the end. And then it's like fourth and goal from the one, which is why it's called The Longest Yard. And he has this crazy run and he scores. Um, has the stick this in the trophy case line at the end. He's a movie star the entire time. He's the most convincing football quarterback we've ever had. He's funny in it. Like there's really funny scenes. It's like all the best things about Burt Reynolds. He gets to have sex with Bernadette Peters in it. Um, he's just great. It's It's a total movie star role. And when they tried to remake this, with Adam Sandler 30 years later, and then they had Burt in the old guy t- tight end role. It honestly pained me. It was like a like it was like oh, it was water painful. torture. I, I just couldn't believe they did it. They tried to turn it into like a slapstick comedy, and to me, it's like you can't remake Longest Yard. It's it's like remaking no. Rocky. It's like remaking Hoosiers or Slap or you just can't. And they, and Adam Sandler did, and I, I will never forgive him for it. But anyway, that's my number one Burt Reynolds movie. And I've watched it Um, a staggering amount of times.
1: It's a, it's an important thing to say that Robert Aldrich directed this movie. Mm. One of the great directors of, of classical Hollywood. He made the dirty dozen made whatever happened to baby Jane really understands like how to use studio assets to get studio value. But there's a grittiness to this movie that, that you don't associate with Aldrich. But I mean, like a, like a visual greediness, like yeah. human greediness. Yes. Um, and Hal Needham did the car chase choreography. Um, there's a car chase in the movie and, and that was,
0: yeah, in the beginning.
1: Needham. Um, anyway, the, ugh, you're so right about, about, I mean, we, you I mean, I think every one of your movies, you have said that nobody else could do this, but Burr Reynolds.
0: Yeah. I always go and, back. I always go back with that with movie actors. I, and it's the one thing we do with sports, but we don't do it the same way with movies. It's like, just start, if you're talking about a great performance, who else could have played this part? I can't come up with anybody. Maybe. It certainly Newman.
1: isn't Adam Sandler.
0: No. Maybe Paul and Newman. It, maybe. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if he's yeah. too short. I don't know if he could have pulled off the footballs convincingly, but anyway. Paul
1: Newman I, isn't sexual in the same way that right. Burt, Burt, Burt Reynolds was. I mean, Paul Newman is insanely beautiful and and sexy but i'm not he and he was sexual but it, it just would be a different thing because there's something there's something loosh about burr reynolds when he wanted to be loosh, right there's a kind of um there's a kind there's a little bit of danger with him you're surprised that he hasn't hit more women to be honest with you <laughs> you know and i think that the, that's always the tension. Like you watch something like starting over and you're just like, he's going to do something horrible to Joe Clayberg and I'm going to have to turn this movie off.
0: Well, I think but he, he had that tension in real life. I don't, with I don't, her? No, just in general. I think Bird had some oh, issues. Oh yeah. There were those stories
1: about him being abusive. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? But you know, there, there's something about him that also just seemed permanently sad. And I think that goes back to the eyes I think that goes back to, to the to the dark features, like he had just dark hair, dark eyebrows, dark mustache. Um, he just was unusual in so many ways. He was a tall, like truly tall, fit, vain, but likable and and sort of self deprecating actor who never, like, I I, guess one of the ways to describe him, I guess, is like the most fat, to me anyway, the most fascinating non-actor in the history of movies, right? Yeah. There have been, there have been lots of people who can't act, but none of them has even been able to turn that, Burt Reynolds never wanted to be a great actor as far as I'm concerned. Like, I don't think that was a priority for him.
0: And I think a lot with, with Longest Yard- The way it ends is kind of the perfect Burt Reynolds ending, and it's a theme of a lot of his stuff. Where like I know I have all this stuff going on that seems like it's good, but I'm really I'm sad inside, and I deserve my fate. In Longest Yard, Longest Yard, it's like you are going to spend a lot more time in prison if you don't lose this game. And he hits a point where he's like, you know what, my life sucks anyway. I'm gonna I want to win this one game, and that's fine. I'll be in prison for the rest of my life. This is what I deserve.
1: People wanted to see him die in the end. Like the end was about a guy trying to kill himself. It was a huge hit.
0: (laughs) With Dom DeLuise. I guess the worst thing Burt Reynolds ever did was inflict Dom DeLuise as an actor on us. So we'll we'll forgive him for that. Here was Fantasy's top five. Number five, Longest Yard. Number four, Striptease. Number Mm -hmm. three, Semi-Tough. Number two, Boogie Nights. Number one, Deliverance. Mm -hmm. And he wrote about Deliverance on our site today or last night or something just about how making the case how Burt was the rare former athlete who transitioned into actually being a famous actor, which a lot of yeah, people have tried. Yeah, that's
1: good point, too. Yeah,
0: nobody has really pulled that off. Well, we'll miss Burt Reynolds. He definitely belonged to a different era that I'm not sure exists anymore. I think everything does
1: is, not exist. I mean, it I was a lot thinking, more though, careful. Bradley Cooper, like people who could, who could if they wanted to do a version of this – yeah, I think Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper could just spend his time doing a version of what Burt Reynolds
0: did. You know, I I'm glad you brought him up because I was going to make that point and I forgot. Deliverance comes out in '72, and Burt Reynolds becomes a a real star in it. But you still need that second one after the one that you the breakthrough hit to kind of prove you're a movie star. And I think Longest Yard was that for him two years later, where it's like mm-hmm. nobody else could have been in this movie. I'm a movie star. And for Bradley Cooper, weirdly, it was Limitless. Limitless came out like three years after The Hangover. Kind of stupid, generic, like weird, weird, crazy plot. I actually thought it's a really smart plot, but the kind of movie that kind of comes and goes. And Bradley Cooper carried it, and it made a lot of money. And I think it made everybody realize like, oh, he's a movie star. And I don't think we were convinced until weirdly Limitless came out. And I think that was the case for Longest Yard. Before we go, and we have to go because we got to do Football with Joe House. Where, where, where do you rank for a Stars Born on a scale of one to ten for an anticipation, uh, on the anticipation level right now?
1: Uh, I mean it's pretty high. I've seen it, so I'm. I'm oh, you good saw with it? <laughs> I've seen when it. did you see it? <laughs> I saw it a couple of weeks ago. Where? In New York City. What the hell?
0: How do you not tell me this?
1: Because <laughs> I didn't want to ruin it for you.
0: Oh, just give me! Don't say anything. Just give me a grade.
1: Uh, what on like what kind of grade? A to F. A to F. Yeah. Uh, I'd say B plus.
0: Oh, all right. This is strong B plus. This is the ringer's most anticipated movie of of uh, two thousand eighteen. We've had more conversations, debates in, in our movie Slack. People posting trailers. Nobody knows what to expect. It is an old school non-comic book um just a really interesting polarizing movie with stars that I want to see in a movie theater and not on my own TV which doesn't happen anymore. He
1: he's a director, you know. He's a, he's a real director and a movie star obviously. Yeah. And and she is I mean she is she's she's good.
0: Wow. I can't wait for this. I can't believe I'm this excited for the Born remake but uh, I
1: can't believe it either, but it's like it's a. I mean, it's just one of those stories that if you do it even a little bit right, yeah, it should. It'll satisfy. you. And that was
0: the frustrating thing about the Streisand one is it had all the pieces and they just completely botched it. And it's it and it, it did so many mistakes made. My wife and daughter are more excited for a Star is Born than any movie I can remember in a while. It might be the one oh, that thing that might, me happy. yeah, might bond them. You know, they, my daughter's thirteen now. They they kind of go to war all the time, but I think this movie will bring them together. Wesley Morris, anything to plug? You were still working on your uh, book.
1: I'm just working, just you know, usual stuff.
0: I don't like when cast
1: is on a little bit of break of a break, and uh, we're gonna I'm gonna write, and then we're gonna come back to the show in the fall, and or like later this fall, and I don't know. Everything's good with me.
0: I don't like working on a book, Wesley Morris, that much. I just want you to finish the book.
1: <laughs> I, want, I want to, too. I want,
0: I want, I I. am not working on a book, Wesley Morris, back in my life. It, but uh, I've been there. I know what it's like. It's like this giant it, jigsaw puzzle you can't get out from under the pieces. And you just, once, once it's done, it'll be great. Thanks for coming on. Me and Burt Reynolds appreciated it. I will talk to you soon.
1: Rest in power, Burt Reynolds. <laughs> How did your house for me?
0: All right, I will. See you. Bye. Thanks, buddy.
1: Thank you. All
0: right, that was fun. I'll, uh, I'll talk right. to you soon. Okay. All right, bye. All right, we're going to talk to House. We're going to talk to him about Tiger, and we're going to do some week one uh, week one NFL picks, which reminds me, you know, when people ask me for advice, like right now, the picks I'm about to give you, most of the time I don't know who's going to win. This week I think I have some ideas. If you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. Trust me, they're they're your best bet this season. They've been in business for years. Great reviews online. Their mobile seat is easy to use. Not to mention, in-game live betting and the most rewarding player perks in the business. I'm probably going to try in-game live betting. It's like the last frontier for me. I think I'm going to try it for week one. For you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. Lay down some cash. Win big today. You win. They pay. Join now. My bookie will match your deposit Dollar for dollar, use the promo code Bill Simmons when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. That is M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use the promo code Bill Simmons when creating your account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. And hopefully, I get paid after I make these week one picks um, with Joe House. He's here right now. All right, it's time for a throwback edition. Friday rolling. We rolling, Joe
2: House? We rolling. It's Friday. It's the first week of the NFL season. Tiger is doing interesting things on the golf course. I mean, we got to be rolling, Bill Simmons. There might be an emergency shack House pie. If Tiger wins, you got to
0: do an emergency shack House. It just has it, to happen.
2: It, it won't even be an emergency. We already, we're already already lined up for Sunday.
0: Oh, good. We okay. forecasted
2: it. Okay. Tiger, he's back,
0: man. I don't know what changed, but he's, he's banging it out. What's changed?
2: Um, His health. He, He is finally, for the first time in half a decade, physically and mentally able to just go out and compete at golf. And it is a reminder to all of us that he is a golfing savant. Right. He is an unparalleled talent. I mean, lots of folks in the in the golf commentariat world point to this time last year where it was big news that his doctor gave him approval to go out and start chipping you know here you're, you're yeah. allowed to do little six inch movements with your wrists again tiger uh i mean a different kind of six inch move and i'm sorry <laughs> uh but the, <laughs> but uh here we are not only is he competing for majors which he hasn't done in eons but you know he's going out and shooting crazy low scores the the 62 that he shot yesterday is the lowest his career lowest opening round since a sixty one that he shot back in nineteen ninety nine. Crazy. We thought we I I had given up mentally. I'd given up. I just well, felt it was the like the right thing to do. I, I felt like it'd to had protect become, yourself.
0: Yeah, I felt like it had become one long dictes. And it was like, Oh, Tiger always yeah. hitting him. But I, it is strange to me, and clearly he is a savant, that he can be doing this when he can't keep a fucking drive on the fairway.
2: And well that was the The big difference for yesterday, um, he hit a ton of fairways in regulation. There was a lot of thought as the week arrived. The big news, the big Tiger news was that he was putting the Scotty Cameron putter back in his bag, the one with which he won 13 of his 14 majors um, because he'd been on a bad streak putting-wise the last few events. Um, But what he really did yesterday was knock the hell out of the ball and his proximity to the hole was, you know, off the the chain, which is something we've seen from him in this last stretch of very enjoyable Tiger golf. Uh, The scintillating performance he put on on the Sunday at uh, um, the PGA Championship when he was firing at pins on the back nine, I mean, that really got the hair standing up on the back of the neck again. So this proximity to the whole thing makes sense. I will say this. Uh, I have a an explainer for this season. He's played in 17 tournaments. This is either his 17th or 18th. And he's only missed two cuts. He missed the cut at Riviera in the early uh, you know, golf season in January, and he missed the cut at the U.S. Open. And he really missed the cut at the U.S. Open because of an opening round. 78 uh that included a triple bogey on the first hole he just kind of had a you know a brain fart kind of deal but um there the the guys at the golf channel were observing that tiger has been starting off slow which which is true his average position in the first round across the season has been 43rd the thing that i would uh, uh say about that he has been playing this season in a way that suggests he has been wanting to simply make cuts. So he's been playing more of a conservative style of golf, not necessarily like the tiger brand of golf because he's, he's back in a race car. His body is a race car. Yeah. uh, BS. I mean, you know, it's a, I don't know if it's a Maserati or a Lamborghini or what other, what it's, it's definitely something Italian. Um, (laughs) but he's back in that race car and he's finding out, you know, If I push the pedal this way, uh, what am I capable of? It is no coincidence that he leads the PGA Tour in scoring average on Saturdays. So I think what we've observed this season from him is just simply wanting to make the cut because he knows he's smart. He's a golf savant that the important thing for him as he re-engages is to play four rounds of golf, not go out there and, and try and fire at pins and be... You know, he you don't he didn't show up expecting to be the tiger of old in terms of kind of a swashbuckling style of play. So he had kind of a more conservative approach. He made cuts, and he made cuts all all year long. And then on Saturday, he would he we would all wake up. He'd be like, you know, in the 20s or 30s. But then, oh, Tiger's going low. Tiger's going low. Uh, and he leads the the tour in in scoring average uh, in the third round. So no, not a big surprise. I think you know, good good game plan. He wanted to make cuts. He wanted to get rounds. He wanted to be competitive again. And so here we are. I don't think people realize this golf
0: calendar shift next year with Tiger cresting at seemingly the perfect time. is It's all working out because they moved this PGA up, and now we're going Masters, PGA. Uh, what's, what's next, British or U.S.? The U.S. U.S. and then end with British, and it's four straight months, April to July. And if he's crested now, he takes a break, comes back, we're gonna have to go to the Masters again if he if Tiger's like officially back, right? I wasn't planning on oh, ever yes. going again, but oh, now, yes. now I feel like we have to go. And we learned some stuff from last year where we should we gotta be in the media center, we gotta do podcasts right after. Like there's there's things we can do next year, I feel like, but I kind of feel like we have to be at least there for one or two rounds next year. But then US is at it's at Pebble, right? It is. British Open is in Ireland, yeah. which you and Jack O and I kind of had a feel each other out text chain about it. That I, you know, think we have to. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's dead. I would say that it's still alive. No, what would be dead would be Jack O if we brought him to Ireland for a golf tournament. We <laughs> just, we just, we'll, just, we'll get fair point. We'll get Let round trip, and then we and we'll get Jack o one way because he's not coming back.
2: You're, you're already looking forward to the 2019 schedule and the way that a, a fully restored Tiger, you know, might, might titillate, might have us all on the edge of our seats again. Yeah. I'm interested in kind of the rest of this season. So, like, what if Tiger, this coming Sunday, is on the leaderboard in first or second place and going up on NBC against NFL football? I'm just curious as to what you think the numbers are going to feel like. Oh, Well,
0: the the weird thing is the late games aren't very good, so I actually think if if he's going against the late games that we have, he actually might pull some eyeballs because you got Chiefs, Chargers, Seahawks, Broncos, Cowboys, Panthers, Redskins cards. So I I don't
2: think that the the isn't the U.S. Open final this Sunday also, the tennis. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. And I don't he, know what time of day because the weather's
0: Nadal, Djokovic for five and a half hours on Sunday. Sure. Okay.
2: <laughs> they're they they're calling for possibly bad weather uh, around the Philly area on Sunday, mm. so we don't know what time Tiger's going to be playing. I just think it's it's very interesting, and if he 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 continues to you know uh, place out very well in this tournament, he'll make the uh, final tournament two weeks from now. Down in Atlanta, and obviously the Ryder Cup is coming up. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting. NBC has caught the tiger. used the word crest. They they caught the tiger wave at the exact right moment. And you know, the only NBC they, I mean, the only uh, football they have is Sunday Night Football. I'm just curious to see kind of how the numbers play out with uh, you know a tiger and Phil, um, you know, back at the top of the of the 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 charts. Golf wise, I mean it still pales in comparison. I know the the sport religion here in this country is the football, but but I'm just curious no matter, to see what's possible. No matter how bad the football is, like
0: last night. We had Eagles Falcons last night. It was just an absolute shit show. We should mention NBC did the whole um NBC did the whole uh that green zone thing, which was one of the dumbest technological uh quote unquote innovations we've seen and sometimes everybody hated it it seemed like I hated well, it I detested it
2: I, I I I didn't get a chance to tweet this out because I was doing a fantasy draft while watching the, the game and I was about six vodkas deep yeah but the the, the thing that I would, I'd like to encourage is the graphics department at NBC Sports somebody needs to go in there and take all the vape pens that are in there out of that office yeah because I think there are mind altering substances the 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 true truly egregious NBC graphic thing was last week's football uh, between Michigan and Notre Dame where they kept down in distance in, in penalty flag yellow. Like we're watching, I'm trying to watch that game. It's just a nice, Hey, football's back. Here's college football, two storied schools with these traditions. And they keep showing down in distance. and, And I keep thinking there's a penalty flag. It's so my theory on this,
0: anytime there's a bad idea, I think what happens is you have these networks and they just have a lot of executives and they have a lot of people and they'll have meetings and they'll have like a meeting in June and they'll invite 20 people. Cause I used to see this happen in ESPN, 20 people. Let's talk about the season. Let's talk about plans. Do we want to add anything? Do we want to fix? And I'll have all these people in a room and people will have ideas that you're expected to come up with. Oh, I think, what if we did this? What about this? Oh, I like the... With that camera behind the quarterback, we have some innovations there. They don't want to just come back with the same stuff. They don't want people to feel like they're stealing paychecks. So they come up with ideas. And at some point, they went around the room. And somebody who clearly had been in the parking lot hitting the vape pen in a major, major way (laughs) um, was like, what if we shade the area from the line of scrimmage all the way to the first down marker on third down? We make that darker. And everybody kind of looks at and they're like, why? And I'll be like, wow, it'll jump out. It'll jump off the screen. And nobody stopped it. And then it just kind of kept going and we ended where we were last night with one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. And I don't know where it goes. People are comparing it to the blue hockey puck that Fox had a million years ago. Fox had the blue hockey puck because we didn't have HD back then. We had square TVs. You could barely fucking see anything. And nobody could see the puck when they watched hockey unless they had a giant TV. So they made the puck blue, yeah, the blue to try to. The blue puck, I, I will defend the blue puck. It was ludicrous, but it was defensible.
2: I'm right there with you.
0: You know what? I was never worried about watching football on my giant HD TV that I have now, along with the rest of America. I was never worried about where the first down marker was. I never, once we had well, the they, yellow line, I was like, okay. That's it. That's the marker. I know they have to get there. They achieved the
2: pinnacle. Yeah. The yellow line's the pinnacle. So just stop. We don't need anything else. We're done.
0: So I don't know where, I don't know how much dumber and idiotic this can get. I, I joked last night, like make the end zone, make white sparks shoot out of the end zone and put the fucking uprights on <laughs> on fire. <laughs> like well, where, you know what where does this end? Used, Matt,
2: Matt, Matt Ryan could have used, uh, you know, some, some, uh, enhanced accuracy adjustment to the flight of his ball. Cause God, he sucked last night.
0: He sucked and he kind of sucked last year too. And, and, it was same old Falcons. It really was. It was that first drive. They get down inside the five, four plays. They don't score. Uh, they get stuffed. Next time, they just get a field goal. End of the game, same thing. It's like the same thing we watched last year. They have all the same problems. I was stunned that they didn't, um, the Julio Jones factor with uh, just him being double covered. Collinsworth calling out how they're double covering him on that last drive, and they're still trying to get the bottom. It You know. The Falcons are who we thought they were.
2: So uh, our pal, uh, Chris Ryan, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. He is our pal. I love Chris Ryan. But our pal, Chris Vernon, uh, retweeted somebody. There was an outstanding stat somebody cobbled together that showed um, top red zone targets of the past year. And uh, Julio Jones was was second. And Mm. the conversion rate for touchdown was, uh, everybody else was like, there were two guys around 50% conversion rate. It was like DeAndre Hopkins, and uh, I don't remember who the tight end was. And, and uh, uh, Julio was there with 20 targets. Guess how many touchdowns, unless you already saw this stat. Oh, wasn't it like two? I think I saw it. it was, well, the one that I saw, I don't know if it was accurate or not, it said one. Oh, one Jesus. touchdown out of 20 targets.
0: Well, because it's week one and because we both love gambling, we were going to make a couple picks. I don't know if we're going to do this every week. Oh, I was
2: hoping you were going to say that. Yeah.
0: I don't know if we're going to do this every week, but we're going to do it this week because it's week one. Week one is both terrifying because there's so much turnover and change and all that stuff, but also week one and week two, as, as you know, and as anyone who's ever listened to this podcast know, is when the best value is. It's when Vegas has no idea who's good and who's not good. It's when the public is betting on the wrong teams and pushing the lines the wrong ways. I see some... Inefficiencies, to say the least. Oh, nice! There are a couple fishy lines. Now, okay. last night's line was fishy, fishy enough that I stayed away. Philly, that line dropped to minus two, and I got scared and I stayed away. I felt out Sal about maybe doing a bet. He's he was already in on Atlanta. Sal was all the way in on this line, so fishy. I'm betting the Falcons. Sal does that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> did not work
2: I out. I understand that logic and watching the entirety of that game it wasn't like I thought the Philadelphia was markedly better than Atlanta Atlanta's no. good it, it was uh, They it, just
0: yeah you you're getting points in a game either team should have won that's where you want to be there was some bad luck and yeah it, if they get a touchdown right. at the end they cover I think what struck me with Philly I don't want to we're not going to overreact to any game in the first six weeks I just we've seen we've been down this road too many times with football.
2: I mean, what, we're nearly fifty years old. We're finally learning.
0: Yeah, but what struck me with Philly was the lack of speed on offense. I do think that's a problem. Maybe when Alshon Jeffrey comes back, that gets fixed a little bit. But they just seem slow. They it just seemed like a grind for them for their receivers to get open for. Right, really until that last drive when when uh, Corey Clement when uh when he burst through on that like thirty five forty yarder and he actually had some space for once. I, I think they're going to reimagine themselves maybe because they still have a good line. I know some guys are still banged up, but maybe as like this power rushing ball control team and then mix in the RPO and figure it out as
2: it goes along. Wentz will help, well, no question. But- Wentz, Wentz's return, I mean, he's so dynamic. I, I, I'm very intrigued to see what kind of quarterback, what kind of identity, quarterback identity he um, re-arrives with, uh, whether he will still be as mobile whether his instincts will have him running, or whether he'll take it down a notch, I don't want a repeat of the RG three right. experience. Well, uh, they've already made it.
0: They've already made it seem like he it might be six or seven weeks, which I think is fine. But me too. It's just you watched that game last night, and it's just hard to believe that this was the same team nine months ago that the Patriots literally couldn't stop once. That just went up and down <laughs> the field and made huge plays over and over and over again. In all kinds of ways, and either the Eagles have gotten a lot slower, or Matt Patricia was the worst defensive coordinator in the history
2: of football. And so maybe, well, and maybe I mean both. The, the the New England defense wasn't exactly setting the world on fire last no, year. And it was not. For some reason, the coach of of the New England Patriots thought that the starting cornerback shouldn't play. So I, what, what do I know? Yeah. All
0: right, we're going to talk football. Wanted to quickly mention Ringer Podcast Network. We added Ryan Rosillo two weeks ago. He's got dual threat, college football and pro football every Tuesday night on the dual threat with Ryan Rossillo podcast. He had Kyle Coward on this week. Very enjoyable interview, by the way. Um, and that's going to be going all the way through the season, all the way through the NFL playoffs. Subscribe now if you haven't subscribed already. And then the Ringer NFL show. I really like what we did with the feed this year. Sunday nights, Mays and Clark. So this Sunday night, Robert Mays, Kevin Clark, We'll be there. There'll be a pod waiting for you either late night if you're a night owl or early in the morning on Monday morning, reacting to everything that happened in week one. GM Street with Tate Frazier and Mike Lombardi Monday night. Then we have Danis Football with uh, Danny Heifetz and Danny Kelly, some fantasy midweek conversation tips, all that stuff. Thursday, Maze and Clark are back Thursday morning previewing the Thursday night game, trying to figure out what's gonna go on in the upcoming weekend. And then we have Jam Street on Friday, Lombardi and uh Tate once again with a little fantasy football added at the end for last minute ad drops, uh daily fantasy, whatever you're into. So that is our schedule for the Ringer NFL show. It is a very good feed. People like it. Check it out. Right now. Let's do picks. All right, let's let's make a couple picks. I am let's I talked to earlier in the week a couple teams that I like. And I think I'm gonna my strategy in week one is going to be just to back those teams in the AFC. We did our wins. We did our wins pull yesterday. The one that we gamble on and you yeah. ended up with the Bengals right before I was about to take them, which hurt my feelings. Whew! what a relief. I like this Bengals team. I like that. Not a lot of people like the team, which makes me like them more. I thought, uh, you know, people are, have just kind of given up on them mentally they're just tired of them. It's same old, same old. And um, there's some guys on their defense that I really like. There's a stability to what they've had over the years. Not a lot of turnover slash turmoil. Um, Andy Dalton, it seems like they're going to try to throw the ball a little bit more. Joe Mixon is finally starting running back. But I like that, that first month. I like when there's an infrastructure, when there's a coach that's been there for a while and a quarterback that's been there for a while, and I really do feel like it's a little bit of an advantage. I also like them in that division as a a sleeper to take it, especially if Le'Veon Bell doesn't come back. They're only getting... I thought they'd be favored in this game, potentially. They're getting two points in Indianapolis. I don't understand the Indianapolis thing at all. Their defense has looked awful um, and doesn't have a lot of talent. Their offense... They have probably the worst starting running backs in the league, other than maybe your beloved Washington Redskins. Andrew Luck in the preseason, by all accounts, was just throwing short passes and wasn't airing it out at all. Nobody knows what his arm strength is. And I think they're going to be one of the five worst teams in the league. I really do. And that's even before knowing whether Luck's going to come back or not. On the flip side, I think the Bengals are underrated. So I think this is going to be a line that, Four weeks from now, we'll be like, "Wow, how was Cincy not minus three in Indianapolis? That was crazy." I'm jumping on that. That's my first pick, Cincy plus two.
2: I'm putting a full unit on that one house. A, a full unit, I, yeah. I I quite like that, and I I agree with everything you just said in terms of rationale. I think the key is this: nobody knows. I mean, uh, you know, Vegas did not award uh, Indianapolis with a full three. So they're they're tapping the brakes a little bit. Only only two for the home team and the home opener.
0: Well, I don't think I don't think I, people I think I don't think people think Cincinnati's good. I think that's what it is. I think they feel like this is two shitty teams playing each other, and I'm not sure that's the case.
2: They 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 improved the offensive line. Their defensive front is still as formidable as, as it's ever been. They have talent on both sides of the ball. They underachieved last year. I'm I mean we, we don't have to belabor it any further. I'm going to join you on mm. that full unit. Uh, for I figured you would. Anything, any, 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 any Cincinnati getting points in this situation. I'm on it. Yeah.
0: It just seems like something's wrong with that line that, which leads me to my next one. Um, I don't think Dallas is going to be good. And I, I'm just going to double down on that pretty early here because they're, playing a team that I actually think is going to be pretty good. I need them to get out of this first month because they're missing Thomas Davis. They've had some injuries. The offensive line's a little bit shaky. But to me, this feels like a best player in the field game. Got Cam Newton on one sideline. You have Dak and Zeke on the other one and really a, a motley crew of receivers, in my opinion. I think they're going to have trouble throwing the ball this year at Dallas. I'm not sold on their defense. I think their coach stinks. I think he is a legitimate first coach fired threat, especially if this game goes badly. And I don't totally understand the line. I think Carolina is going to be good. And people are saying like, oh, the, the NFC South, like, whoa, it's loaded. I'm not sure Atlanta's good. I think there's two good teams in the NFC South I felt that before the season. I like New Orleans. I like Carolina as the two teams to come out. I think either of them can win the division. And if you're Carolina, you're going to win the division or you're going to go 11 and five. You don't lose this game. You don't blow week one to the freaking six and ten Cowboys. It's not happening. So the line's only minus three. I love the value. I like Cam Newton. I think he's ready for a big year. And uh, that's my second pick, Carolina minus three.
2: So I I, I agree that there's value um, in this pick because of how bad I think Dallas is going to be this year. I don't agree that Carolina is going to be good. I don't think that they're going to win. I think their their ceiling is nine wins this year. They they replaced both uh, their um, coordinators. on, oh, on and uh, the size of the ball, obviously. Yeah. Um. And I don't. I'm just. I I, I do subscribe to the theory that this uh, division is a murderer's row, and they uh, um play a terrible uh. Schedule this year they have a, an incredibly difficult schedule the the entire NFC South, those four teams, I think uh, football outsiders has them as, as confronted with somebody has them with, as, as the, the four most challenging schedules uh, in the NFL this season but I, I, I think Dallas is going to be a train wreck the only thing uh, about Jason Garrett as first coach getting fired is he clearly knows something about Jerry he has something on Jerry Jones <laughs> that has prevented him from getting fired yeah. already um so I wonder that, what that it would could be. be the only reason to be to be worried about it um but yeah i on the offensive side those injuries the the, the reason that uh, Dallas was able to do smoke and mirrors uh, the the previous year was because of that offensive line now we're gonna see. That line is hurt. They don't I don't know one guy skill wise other than uh Zeke Elliott that you would say is an upper echelon. I mean, that we I think we saw tons of, of Dak Prescott last year, um, where they said go ahead and throw the ball and he couldn't throw the ball. He wasn't accurate. So I am with you. I like I like this Carol I like the the situation of it. I like Caroline at home, the home opener, three points or, or less is great. Uh, I'm 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 gonna join you on that one. I don't mean to cut your legs house
0: out. We've been friends for 30 years. I've heard this Carolina schedule argument made, and I've heard this NFC South gauntlet argument made. I'm going the other way. I actually think they have an easy schedule. I don't think Tampa's good. I think Atlanta's completely overrated. They're playing the NFC East, which, as we saw last night, has a chance to be the worst division out of the eight. Like Philly might go nine and seven and win that division. I don't like any of the other teams they're also playing um the the AFC North which yes. has Pittsburgh Cincinnati Cleveland who's the fourth team I'm playing oh Baltimore Baltimore I I don't I, that's why I think Cincinnati has a chance to steal that division I don't think that's a particularly strong division either um and then really the gauntlet for them is the last three games their home New Orleans home Atlanta at New Orleans but before that they have the Four weeks before that, at Detroit, home for Seattle, at Tampa, at Cleveland, it's a pretty nice stretch. So, you know, they were 11 and 5 last year. I just think they're undervalued. And I think, I honestly think people are tired of Cam Newton, is what is for me like the red flag of this whole thing. It's almost like with wh- where Westbrook is now in the NBA, where people are just like, ah, fuck Yeah, I up, love fuck that. Westbrook. You know, I what heard I mean? you
2: make that comparison. It's just I think like, it's very accurate. It like really is.
0: We both think OKC is a contender this year, and I don't know if people realize that they might have a, the best chance of anyone in the West to dethrone, or at least give Golden State a series. You know, I think
2: they're as as good of a position as Houston is now. But anyway, it, the the comparison with Westbrook works for me because it feels like there's a public phoniness. Uh, to both Cam and, and to Westbrook, just in terms of their persona. I mean, yeah. Westbrook maybe is is not f- phony. He is um, rel- relentlessly surly, uh, but does not, you know, sh- show up and make nice. And when he does make nice, it doesn't feel that authentic. And we we constantly are are confronted with you know two two sides of. Uh, of cam he's 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 the classic batman villain two-face on the one hand he's jovial and laughing and he's a he's playing with kids and he's doing you know uh charity work but on the other hand we see him as a crybaby so often yeah uh, and we just don't know we we don't we we, we don't trust the american sporting public does not trust uh a a lack of authenticity and that's where both those guys come out i think
0: you know what though I thought for Cam, he went a long way with me with that Kelvin Benjamin video. I really liked how he handled that. I thought... He kept it real, didn't he? He kept it real. He went right up to the guy. He was like, you're going to say that stuff. Say it to my face. He made Kelvin Benjamin clearly back down and just seemed like a leader to me. I don't know. I, I'm in on Cam. I think Cam is actually become underrated and is somebody that is one of the few guys we have right now who could take a team to 10 wins, so... Um we will see who who do you have for a second pick?
2: Uh, I just love going up against these extra crubble, I can't even say the word properly. Anytime uh you give me Nathan Peterman or you give me uh that, is it Peterman Peter uh, <laughs> Nathan I, I, Peterman, yeah. name's wrong. Yeah, or you give me Ryan Fitzpatrick, I don't care what the points are. I'm going against them. If if it's not if it's under 14 points, I'm going against them. So I'm 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 just loading up. I just says it feels like a a basic betting principle. If Ryan Fitzpatrick is on the field, I'm betting against him. If Nathan Peterman is on the field, I'm betting against him. And as long as it's under 14, it feels like value to me. So those are two plays just right right away. I can't I can't uh uh get to the book fast enough to place those two bets. So you have Baltimore Baltimore is against Buffalo and the line is
0: it's Buffalo at Baltimore. The line is seven and a half. New Orleans, yeah, minus- it could be ten and a half, and I would take that. New Orleans ten over
2: Tampa and Ryan Fitzpatrick at home. So you like both yeah. of those? New Orleans at home against Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yes, please. It's Man, interesting. Much more. I was looking at both of those. I don't know what to make of the Ravens, but
0: um. Ravens at home have been pretty reliable no matter what kind of condition their team is in. I'm with you. I think Buffalo is the worst team in the league. The thing that scares me is that everybody has said Buffalo is the worst team in the league. And they're going into this Baltimore game. And Baltimore is a good home team. People actually think they might be a little better than uh, some other people expect. Why isn't the line higher? It's Nathan Peterman on the road in Baltimore, a place where Baltimore wins almost all their home games. Why isn't
2: that line eight and a half? Why isn't it nine? Why only seven? You know and why? A half? Honestly, I think we're paying a Flacco tax. <laughs> I think we've seen enough of Flacco. I mean, the, we, I think it's right to be skeptical of Baltimore this season because they're going to go through this transition. This is it for Flacco, and yeah. I don't think that it's going to end well. Uh, and I think the, the only reason this isn't double digits is the Flacco tax. Well, fucking Trump, you know, the fucking, the Flacco tax, all the shit he's pulled. It's really (laughs)
0: ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, You know, if that Saints line gets down to nine and a half, I think there's a really strong three team, seven point tease to be made with the Ravens, Ravens, Saints, and the Rams. Cause I think the Rams is basically a free game this week. He's put the Rams. I totally agree with this. Put the Rams with anybody and, and, and you win. Um, in fact, I'm doing that as as my last bet. I am putting my third bet, and this is a half unit, not a full unit. Um, I like the Bears. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I like the Bears plus 260. Oh. Uh, I'm sorry, plus 250. What? The Bears plus 250 to win in Green Bay. I'm putting a half oh. unit on it. <laughs> I'm taking a flyer.
2: No, it, it's thoughtful. I understand the impact of Mac, and and I love Mays. I mean, let, let there there are many many beloveds at the Ringer. B- Baby Bear Mays is is among them. He came on House of Carbs last year, and and I still get tweets from people who go to Chicago, yeah. and give shout outs for the to the fantastic Pequod's Pizza that he recommended. But get the f- GTFO, Co- Mitch Trubisky. They. They put him in the most conservative offense in the history of National Football League last year. They, they tried to let him only throw eight times a game. Why do you think that is? I'm listening. I, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm a, it's I, a question. I, I don't, I don't what have is a counter. What's different about Mitch Trubisky? What has changed for him that's going to I know they have a different coach and a different coordinator. But he if he can't throw the football and there's no evidence that he can, how are they gonna go into Lambeau and beat Aaron Rodgers?
0: I hear your points. I I have the It's a one point. I have the Bears t- plus two fifty, parlayed with the Saints minus five hundred. It takes me to plus three twenty.
2: And I like their defense. I don't care if it took you to plus three thousand twenty. It's I, just a goodbye to that money. I like their defense.
0: I like the fact that some something weird is going to happen with one of these games. Everybody I has agree just with you. penciled it, in the it Packers. It always does. Everyone has penciled in the Packers as a contender. Like, oh, it, and it reminds me a little bit of what happened with the Raiders last year. It was like, oh, the rate, well, the Raiders would be in the playoffs. It's like they that's have
2: just but that's disrespectful to Aaron Rodgers. Well, hold on.
0: You just compared I know, but hold on. With the Raiders ahead, it the was point. like well, Derek Carr and Khalil Mack, you know, and the and it was like what Rusilla said, and the other guys. It was like, well, who are the other guys? Yeah, it's Derek Carr and Khalil Mack. And then you go, and it's like there's nobody on the team. Um, I think with the Packers, people have convinced themselves that if Rodgers hadn't gotten hurt last year, this Packers team would have been so-and-so. And uh, I don't know. I'm just not I sure. I convinced
2: myself of that. Aaron Rodgers. He's Rogers. the best quarterback in
0: football. Uh, he's also, he's 35. He's had a couple of big injuries at this point. I don't love any of his receivers right now, except for Devonte Adams, who had two concussions last year. Jimmy Graham, who when was the last time Jimmy Graham meant something to you as a football fan? Like four years ago. He's I know, Going but, down the line, it's remember, like remember
2: Rodgers is a is a kingmaker. He he makes stars out of out of bumps. Great. Um, I just think I believe
0: in this Bears defense. I think they have enough weapons with their skill guys that they can put Trubisky kind of in a box and just ha- be very, very careful with him, take no chances, try to keep the ball and get first downs, run a couple trick plays. And when it's like third and 11, you don't have him drop back and throw down 20 yards downfield. You just you, you have him manage the game, House. He manages the game. <laughs> you know, he, he runs around, he sprints... He just oh. he does stuff.
2: His strong suit.
0: I just have a feeling about this game. I sprinting I, and throwing the ball out of bounds. I like the Bears anyway before the Mac trade. Then they made the Mac trade. I'm like, wow, they might have the best or second best defense in the
2: league now. And uh it, it's I'm fine a believer. To like the Bears. I think they're I gonna, don't mind it. How about I think this? they are a bounce back story. How about
0: this, House? I think they're gonna beat the shit out of Aaron Rodgers on Sunday. There, I
2: said it. <laughs> I said it right there. I think well, they're gonna pound him like a hope. piece
0: of fucking veal on Sunday.
2: That's, that's what, their best. That's their best hope is to go find that collarbone, yeah. find the soft point in it, and, and get it cracked again. That's their only hope. It's going to be shitty
0: weather Sunday night. Um, it'll be windy and kind of weird, and they're just going to try to beat the shit out of them. And they're going to be fired up. And Al Michaels and Collinsworth are gonna, and Al Michaels going to be like, Al, Al, you know the bear. I know they were underdogs out, but the Bears think they can win this game. That's going to happen the second <laughs> quarter. I, I, I. I, I I just think they think they can win this, Al. I think they think they have a better team. Um, I'm just saying. I think. I think to me, it's plus three twenty. Team them with the Saints against Fitzpatrick at home, and uh, I think there's a one in three chance they could win the game. So that's that's all right. Uh, one in three. That's, yeah.
2: That's, that's, and you got those odds, so that's fair.
0: No, I like that Congrats. you disagree. It makes me more emboldened. I hope Mitch Trubisky heard all of this. <laughs> I I really like their skill guys. I like uh, I like this Anthony Miller pickup. I like yeah. Tariq Cohen. I think Jordan Howard's sure. going to have a huge year. And he had a pretty good year. last I'm year, happy to hear that. I drafted him last night. Um, who's their lead receiver? I'm blanking. Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson. Great signing. Yeah. Really enjoyed Great it. Signing. I like Taylor I, Gabriel. I thought he had some moments on Atlanta.
2: I like I Trey Burton. I agree with everything that you're saying. I, I'm prepared to to recognize the improvement that they've made. And I applaud them going into free agency and grabbing some real skill players in areas where they needed to improve. I mean, you know, good for them. Good, the, the, the good people of Chicago deserve a competent football team. I just don't think we're going to see all of that come together in game one. That's all.
0: Okay. Well, I will remind you before I let this go. In week one, something. there's always one team that, oh, my God, where did this come from? And I'm going through the list. And this seems like one of the logical candidates. I think another one could be the Texans going into New England. I'm not saying this will happen, but the Texans going to New England and Deshaun Watson's awesome and they beat the shit out of Brady and look like a contender. There's going to be one team that we don't expect that after Sunday night, we're going to go, they look like a contender or wow, they might be a playoff team. And I keep coming back to the Bears. I think that might be the team. Yeah, the...
2: The one that fits that description for me is Denver, who I think uh, may, may just beat the crap out of Seattle. Yeah, I wanted uh, to talk
0: myself into them, and then I read that article about Elway and the sixteen and seventeen drafts, and how bad they were, and how they just basically dumpster fired two straight drafts. I don't know how that helps them for eighteen.
2: Do you? I, have... I don't disagree. And we're in the, the thing that the the lesson the Eagles taught us last year is the oh. how crucial depth is. At every at every position, um, but I just think Denver still has enough talent on on both sides of the ball. They had a quarterback problem for two consecutive seasons. True, and we like and Case Keenum. I think that Minnesota made a grave mistake in in uh, not just letting Case Keenum go, but replacing him with Kirk Cousins. They're going to find out exactly what Kirk Cousins. I, I saw some commentator write. I don't remember who or where in the previews. Well, we're really excited to see Kirk Cousins' ceiling. In the in the red zone, he's going to have a lot of opportunities with the Minnesota team. Let me uh, let me tell you, just just sit tight, just sit tight. There's 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 a famous play that with Kirk Cousins uh, at the end of a game against the Eagles three or four years ago. Just just wait and see what what kind of Einstein Kirk Cousins is inside the twenty yard line. Um uh, Minnesota fans, I I I just prepare yourselves. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to, you know, it's the beginning of the season, there's no reason to be overly negative, but I'll tell you this. Alex Smith is an enormous upgrade over Kirk Cousins here in Washington DC. Yeah, this is I've completely talked myself out of Minnesota making the playoffs. <laughs>
0: I think Kirk Cousins well, is going to cancer they're two,
2: them. They're very good. I, I still think they're going to make the playoffs. They might win 10 or 11 games, but there's a, there's a, they're, they're going to be held back by their quarterback. The point I was trying to make with Denver is they, too, were held back by, by just you know not even replacement-level quarterbacks. And they had people playing quarterback in Denver that, that didn't belong uh, on an NFL field, and they are no longer on an NFL True. field. Uh, I think Case Keenum was was damn good last year, and all the advanced advanced metrics bear it out. And I think Denver still has talent on both sides of the ball. That's the one that I have circled in terms of oh wow these they, they may be back, and also oh wow Seattle's going through so going to have have a tough run this year. I tried to get
0: there. I'm ta- I'm picking Denver in our picks poll. I just can't get there mentally with Denver. Reading, I, I wish I'd okay. never read that article about the drafts. Um, I, I get think. It. I think Chicago makes the playoffs and I think there's one spot left for green Bay or Minnesota. And I have no idea which one of those two, (coughs) which one of those two doesn't make it, but I have, I have Carolina and new Orleans making it. I have the Rams with the one seed, Philly nine and seven, 10 and six, something like that. And, uh, and then Chicago making it either as a wild card or division champ, I don't know. And then one of those two. Minnesota or Green Bay. I think that's where we land. I have one more bet. This is my big bet. Oh, let's hear it. (laughs) I'm going one and a half units on this house. Wow, that's a big one. Yeah. Rams, minus 210. Saints, minus 500. Parlay, a parlay. Yeah. Minus minus 130 when you team those two babies together. That's,
2: I mean, it's nearly even odds almost.
0: Yeah. And I think the Raiders are going to be awful. I think John Gruden is going to be memorably, historically bad at a potential train wreck. I've already promised to eat. Uh, I said cow testicles the other day on my podcast. I think cows don't have testicles. <laughs> bull. I meant bull testicles. Whatever brains are, I've never had brains. I will eat brains on this podcast if the Raiders make the playoffs. I'm not going to have to worry about doing that because the
2: Raiders are freaking horrible. Oh, and John Gruden is going to be awful. Too. It's a delicacy. Sweetbreads are are, are wonderful. So I'm no. not going to let you off the hook with that. You, no thanks. You, you have to eat Good Goodell's testicles. That's where it ended up with the cause. I listened to that podcast. Yeah. Well, I'll do that too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think the Rams Just fondle go. Them. That'll be enough for me.
0: Just a fondle, a tickle. The Rams go 13 and three, 14 or two, something like that. I think they have the most talent. I believe in the coach, the skill guys, the defense, the whole thing. And uh, and I think this is a line that should be four points higher. I think they should be favored by eight and a half, not four and a half. So I think there's a case to be made, just bet the four and a half too, but I just like the money line combined with the Saints against Fitzpatrick. To me, that almost feels foolproof. And I'm going to one and one and a half units on that. So there we go. I
2: hate I hate using words like foolproof. I know. By God. That's why I was I careful. Been fools? We've been fooled and fools many, many times when it comes to these these selections. But I adore this first week money line just just pick the better team. Yeah, just uh, go. It really doesn't. It feels like something extraordinary would have to happen, um, and you know, just just make talent picks. I might put one more team on that parlay and get myself. Who is plus it? Plus odds. Who is it? The ba- the Baltimore Ravens oh. because I just I just can't abide the idea of Buffalo going down to Baltimore. I would and, do and, that. Uh, pulling out.
0: I would do that with you, but that would break one of my rules in life, which is don't put Joe Flacco in a three-team parlay or tease. So sadly, I can't join you. <laughs> it's, it's a that. good rule. It's a good rule. It's a good rule. It's just a good blind rule to stick by, because you can get yeah. sucked in with Joe with the Ravens, oh they're home, and then you know it's like let's go to Baltimore where Joe Flacco is throwing another pick, and you just <laughs> wow. like wow my three-team tease is in flames, and I knew better. Why did I do that? So I'm not I'm not joining you in on that one.
2: That's fine, and I, I, you know, look, these these rules are there for a place. You guys uh, last year very uh, strenuously tried to talk me out of a huge bet on Andy Reid in the playoffs, and I wouldn't listen, and I broke the no, rule. And you know what? That I was did?
0: horrible. I lost money. That was buy money. That was really sad. That was sad. We're we're too old for that to happen. Harrison House Butker, House, uh, I'm here. A pleasure as always. House of Carbs, subscribe now. Food heating up. We got to do a tailgate podcast soon.
2: Hey, some yeah, yeah. We're going to have a uh, couple good shows coming up. I, we might talk about the Minnesota State Fair, the, the largest state fair in the United States of America. We're going to get Mark Leibovich on. He he spent the past four years whining and dining with owners of the NFL. Mm. So we're going to have him on and talk about the, the highlights and lowlights of some of those meals. I think that'll be good. He's got his new book, Big Game, coming yeah. out.
0: And uh, then you have Shaq on course, Sunday
2: yeah, Shaq House Sunday night, hopefully talking about a Tiger win. And we're going to give a little time to start talking about this Tiger-Phil matchup. Are you aware? I'm aware. That this, this, uh, I'm aware. This matchup is taking place on the day after Thanksgiving? Yeah. Yes. There's an anniversary there. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Holy yeah. shit. So oh, remember, man. you know, they're trying to do this thing, Phil and Tiger, about trash talking, all this kind of stuff. Let me put this to you. You and I have been friends a long time. We're much better friends than Tiger and Phil. They're probably more like you'd call them professional acquaintances, although they, they seem to be pretty chummy. But they're, 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 they're holding open this idea of, of the trash talk being a little bit spicy. Mm. Do, do, do you think that there's any possibility that Phil walks up to the first tee and says, happy anniversary? No. That's, that's, that's over the line, right?
0: I think Tiger would hit him with his driver. Which would be the first and thing he, you hear with he, a driver all year? Thank you, thank you. I'll Phil be wouldn't show
2: up with a bag with the, with a big logo of a fire hydrant on it, right? Phil wouldn't do that.
0: What if Phil drove in with a, in an Escalade?
2: He drove to the teeth With <laughs> was that the car Tyler was driving? With an Escalade with a nine iron sticking out of it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> or with an Escalade <laughs> with a fire hydrant attached to the front.
0: This is rough. Rough times pretty for pretty good. Maybe maybe drops the Blackberry on the on the tea. The, hey, you left this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, what about just play the recording? Like have that recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the girl's name? Rachel, you Melissa, can tell. Melissa, it's Tiger. I need you to do this. Oh, yeah. Oh, Huge. Yeah. Quickly. Huge quickly was great.
0: Ah <laughs> oh, man. maybe What if Tiger's listening to this? Now
2: we're hurting his self-confidence. We, we got to stop. Oh, no, no. For, fortunately, there's no chance Tiger's listening. Well, yeah. I... <laughs> I shouldn't say that.
0: No, he's not listening. Let's be honest. Joe okay, House, good. a Whew. pleasure as always. Thanks for Friday rolling with me. Talk to you soon.
2: Let's go Mystics.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to The ringer.com and The Ringer Podcast Network. Don't forget to check out all of our stuff, including the new Ryan Rossella podcast, Dual Threat and The Ringer NFL Show. Thanks to Starbucks Double Shot. Starts with bold Starbucks coffee, blended with milk for a smooth, creamy, delicious flavor, enhanced with ginseng, guarana, and B vitamins. I know I need energy around 3.30 p.m., 4 4 p.m. every day. Need a little uh, little friend, need a little pick-me-up. That's Starbucks Double Shot. Energy to do things you actually do. Find it in your local convenience store. And thanks to Campaign Monitor. Again, when it comes to email marketing, so much more goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. Campaign Monitor created an easy-to-use email marketing platform complete with mobile-friendly templates, a single drag-and-drop email editor, award-winning 24-7 customer service. It's used by more than 250,000 businesses worldwide. Try it without spending a dime right now. My listeners can sign up for their free trial today, campaignmonitor.com BS. Again, campaignmonitor.com BS. Enjoy the weekend Sal and I are back Monday, reacting to week one, guessing the lines for week two. Until then, enjoy football.